Welcome to HivriaCast, the podcast where I, Alad Nehrai, speak with some fascinating and incredible creative Jews. All right. Hello. Welcome to HivriaCast, episode whatever number. I've given up on counting, as you may know. Um, I'm so excited to have Rachel Spangenthal on HivriaCast. This is a big moment for me. It's really exciting to be here. <laughs> uh, Rachel is, uh, in case you are unaware, is one of our regular writers on Hevria and actually one of our founding members of Hevria. So, um, it's, and actually the first Hevria writer we're having on Hevria cast. So, so exciting to have you. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing great. See, the thing is, I usually start <laughs> off by being like, so tell me what about you what do? you do. But yeah. Well, I do, I do know other you things do. outside of writing for Hebrea. I thought that's all you do, though. I, I write for Hebrea most, most of the time. Most of the time. But wow. um, when I'm not writing for Hebrea, I'm also um, I'm finishing up my studies to be a psychiatric nurse practitioner. You just graduated, right? I graduated. I still have more school after this. Two more months. We just walked and did the ceremony. Um, that's so confusing. To it's me. a little confusing. So you didn't finish. Correct. Is there a chance that you could like, uh, flunk my last yeah, semester? Like, do you think you could just like, and you wouldn't graduate? In theory, a person could, <clears throat> but no, no, that that's not a thing. What if you just stopped going to class? Could you? Well, we barely have classes anymore. We have internships. So what if, you if I stopped go going internship? to my internship, then yes, I, I might potentially have trouble mm. graduating. But you graduated, though. Officially, I walked. However, you get no diploma oh. at the... You get no diploma, regular So it's just a ceremony? Humans. Yeah. See, I didn't go to my did graduation. Did you go to college? I, I did, but I didn't go to my graduation. Got it. <laughs> Got it. So at graduation, most of the time, you don't actually get your diploma. Uh-huh. Or at least I didn't for my two bachelors. I graduated high school also. Congratulations. Both. And then I got my diploma in high school. So that's what I'm basing off this, right. this off of. And I was done with school then. Right. I actually don't even know. What, I don't even know what I'm talking about right now. Because <laughs> normally there's substance at this point. <laughs> but this is just, I mean, this is great to have you. I just feel comfortable having you here. Um, let's see. Uh, okay. So you did this. What, what got you into the, the nursing thing? Let's, let's talk about that. Um. So basically, I'm originally from North Carolina, and I grew up with my father as a physician. He's a pulmonologist, which mm-hmm. is a lung doctor. Um, so I grew up with like healthcare in my family, except and I'm the youngest of four siblings. No one else went into health. I was like the last hope. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always been very psychologically oriented, mm-hmm. I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, like I just what does that mean? Psychologically oriented. I find people to be the most beautiful things in the world. Oh. You know what? This is like such a great segue, actually, because one of the creative things that you do, I don't know if you would say like you, it's something you do, but like, as in quote unquote, like officially, like, but you do these incredible posts on Facebook that are really about celebrating people, right? Yeah. So I'm very yeah. much, I'm pretty sure that, um, sorry, I'm pretty sure that, uh, Everything I try to do tries to highlight, I guess, the soul of the world and humans. Mm. Um, So like 
the nursing, the like the uh, Facebook posts, Hevria. Yeah. Wow. And even when I, I, I go traveling a lot, mm-hmm. thank God I've been very blessed. Um, and I do photography, like travel photography. Oh, right. And um, but <laughs> the only things I really photograph, mm-hmm. like people ask me to photograph events or, you know, landscapes or whatever. But the only thing that I actually am able to photograph adequately is um, our portraits, just because mm-hmm. I really only care about like seeing people's souls through their eyes. Wow. That's so beautiful. And that, you know, so you touched on how you travel a lot. Like this is like a huge part of your life as well. You travel yes. around the world a lot, right? Yes. And that, I mean, would you say that the motivation there is similar? The motivation there um, is definitely to, I think for me traveling, a lot of people travel in order to kind of get away from their life. And I travel in order to tune in. Mm. Um a lot of times, like one of the wonderful, beautiful things about Judaism is that we have the Sabbath where we kind of just like tune in with what's around us. Mm. And for me, traveling is being able to do that long term more than just 25 hours a week. It's being able to just like separate yourself from all of these external things and mm. focus on what's right in front of you. Because especially the places I go to, which are more third world and villages, um, there's this ability to just access presence. Mm. Um, and I actually find it to be like a very like awesome and awe filled experience. Um, mm. Well, it's really interesting. I mean, well, what, what I find also fascinating about that is, you know, when I at least see your posts on Facebook, when you travel, it's very similar to what you're describing in the sense of, it's very much focused on the people there, right? You're talking about the interactions you had or things you learned from. A, it's always a person being featured. Yes. It's, I mean, it's actually, I guess, no different than the posts you do when you're in New York, right? I mean, so ideally, I would be able to be in travel mode, quote unquote, all the time. Uh-huh. I try very hard to access that when I'm in New York. And when I don't think that we need to go anywhere in order to be in tune with the millions of beautiful moments around us. I think it's easier when we're outside of our normal environments that we've already become jaded to, I guess. You know, it's so funny. I, uh, I remember last year when I went to Batayan to, uh, like do that documentary. And I remember like, I was just obsessed with taking photographs of everything, you know? Um, and I thought it was just cause like it was beautiful, which it, I mean, obviously it was a big reason I did it, but when I got back to New York, I started taking photographs of like the laundromat and like mm-hmm. the sidewalk and like all these things. I was like, oh, it's so beautiful, you know, and I was like, all right, I'm going to stick with this and I'm going to like start noticing the beauty around me the way I did in Israel and how I felt like when New York was fresh to me again. And I just, I just let it, like, I just couldn't keep it up. Well, it's you know? natural that unless, like, unless we're going down, we're kind of, unless we're going up and working on ourselves, unless we're building muscle, we're kind of losing muscle, muscle just inherently yeah. and naturally. So it's the same thing with appreciation and gratitude. Unless we're working on kind of realizing everything that surrounds us, you get used to it. And I mean, that's a normal, both psychological and physiological response. Like when you get it. Sorry, like mind like and a, body. Like, like when, a you get a, when you get a new watch, right? Yeah. And you're wearing the new watch. The first couple of days, you feel the watch on your arm. Mm. And after that, you stop rem- 
you stop feeling the fact that there's a watch because you're, you know, you get so used to the sensation that your mind stops firing like, oh, there's a watch, there's a watch, there's a watch. Whereas the first couple of days, it's very aware. Um, And unless you kind of take either take that watch off or you constantly remind yourself like, oh, man, that's a nice watch. Or, oh, you look at it and you just like appreciate it over again. You're going to forget that you're wearing the watch. So it's interesting. So like, do you think that we should be cultivating like we should be taking our like metaphorically taking our watches on and off or something so that we are aware of it more or, you know, since it's like a natural function that we should be getting used to wherever we are or whatever situation we're in. I think Um, that there's. In some in some things, yes. Like I think that um, you know the the laws, the Jewish laws of uh, family purity, are um, building that into our relationships. That you have that kind of like withholding and then reunification, like that every month, um, you know, and or yeah, you know a parent goes to work or a kid goes to school and then they come home and you get to see your bed. Like we kind of have that. And like, Mm. there's that moment of joy when you see your bed. Mm. Um, and we kind of have that like going away and coming to like, if you had chocolate all the time, you wouldn't really appreciate chocolate or, but I do have chocolate all the time. Do you? (laughs) But then either you keep increasing, if a person does have chocolate all the time, they keep increasing the amounts of chocolate or the richness of chocolate in order to appreciate it. There's no way that you can consistently have the same thing unless you're working on your mind and the gratitude. Mm. Like something I also think is incredible about Judaism. Mm. One of my favorite things when I was like becoming more religious Mm. um, is this prayer that you say after you go to the bathroom, right? I'll show you outside. It's like literally like thanking (laughs) God for being able to pee and, and other things and, and other things. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. No problem. Um, that's what I'm here for. But like, it's a crazy thing because otherwise you wouldn't even think about it because we can do it all the time until you can't, like you can't, you don't appreciate breathing until you can't suddenly, um, unless you're constantly like every day we have in our prayers, like, thank you for waking me up. Thank you for doing this. And it's just, I think it's mind training to be grateful for what you already have. That's so interesting because then those things themselves can also, I mean, for a lot of people can quickly become a a routine thing, you know, where they're not, they have to remind themselves to be grateful for that. Like, or, you know what I'm saying? Which I'm not saying that in a negative sense, but just how. Have you heard of, I mean, the idea of mindfulness, right? Right. It's working on just being mindful of what's around you. Right. And so this is really interesting because I guess what you're doing with your creativity um, is reminding us to be more mindful, I guess, right? Or am so I a couple words of, no, in no, 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 you, I mean, yeah, a couple of years ago, <laughs> um, I, I worked at a retreat for single mothers mm-hmm. and, um, they had a psychotherapist go around and put all the mothers in a, in a circle. And he told all of them, I was like 20 and all these women had had so many experiences, you know, mm-hmm. and then there was me. Um, <laughs> And he put them all in a circle and he asked them, he said, there's a reason that you woke up this morning. There's a reason that you wake up every day. Mm. Like just, we're going to go around and everyone say one reason why you think you're here. could be a big thing. It could be a small thing. 
Um, and thank God I was one of the last ones of the circle, but I was just like thinking like, I don't, I don't know. Like all these women were saying, you know, they're children or they're this or they're that. And they're really big, important things. And I was a college student and didn't, I obviously had a purpose, but didn't necessarily connect with it. Um, and I came up with this answer. Um, and I said, you know, it could be because of my age, but I feel like I'm here to like remind people what it's like to be a kid. Mm. And since then I've been thinking about it. Cause like I get excited about really little things. Like every time it rains, I get really excited or every time like the wind hits my face in a really specific way. I just like, it blows my mind. And so (laughs) I think that what children have that adults sometimes forget is like, they get excited about pigeons you know, we walk past pigeons and we're like, ooh, dirty pigeons. And they're like, oh my God, pigeons. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that if we could kind of train ourselves to be grateful for the lives that we already have, we don't actually need more. I mean, some of us, some of us, you know, we there are reasons, there are reasons for things to pray for and health and, you know, a certain amount of, of financial well-being and safety. Um, but for the majority of us, we actually have enough in order to be happy. Mm. It's just whether or not we realize it. It reminds me like every now and then I'll have this, I'll kind of remember moments from when I was a child. Like I remember recently I was watching my girls play and they were like just so absorbed in it, you know? And I I had this like flashback to when I was a kid and I would play with my, I had this friend that we would play like animals with, you know, and it would be, you know, it was like toy tigers and this and that. And and I just remember being 100% within that experience where like, just as when we watch a movie or something, we're like, oh, that character is real. Like that sitting there with those animals, I I thought they were like, I psychologically felt like they were real. Yeah. And I remember also even being older and looking out the window on a car ride and just being totally absorbed in that. And the reason that I remember those things is because how different they are to my life now. Yeah, now we're doing you know? 10 things at once. Yeah. I mean, even when you're sitting right now, right now, you're sitting and being focused on this conversation. But normally you have a conversation, you have a cell phone, you have a, <clears throat> you have the sounds in the background. Like you're, we're doing 10 things. And even if we're not doing 10 things, we're thinking 10 things, mm. you know, and have a bunch of things in our minds. Um, there's this quote that I love that says, like, wherever you are, be all there. Um. that's so interesting I guess mindfulness in a sense is a very it's very kind of inherently connected with being a child because children are are, in a sense mindful all the time yeah in a sense in a sense they are in a sense I mean I used to have um, I used to have a lot of issues with uh, anxiety and panic attacks like I I've been in school for forever, but I used to be the most like, oh my God, I had so much test anxiety and I wouldn't be able to sleep. I would work on my projects obsessively. Um, Connect me with the process of breathing, which helped me because my mind would be freaking out. Mm. Um, Yeah. No, my parents actually did a lot in order to cultivate the kind of, of ability to be present it's so cool. Yeah. So, I mean, that's so interesting because you're saying that like so much of your life right now is about making the world more mindful, I guess. And 
But it sounds like it kind of came from a past struggle you had, I guess. Of course. <laughs> of course. No, I mean, a lot of our missions, we had to learn. I Right. I heard this thing recently that I thought was amazing. Um, the speaker, he's like an inspirational speaker, and he was talking about how when we look at musicians, famous musicians, and we say that they're gifted, mm. um, that, oh, they're so gifted. It's just really an excuse. Like we're kind of excusing ourselves from developing musical talent. Uh. Um, or when we say like a child is, is gifted or like we shouldn't be praising our children for being good at things. We should be praising our children for working hard at things. Right. Um, and I think a lot of times our missions aren't the things that come easily to us. They're specifically the things that are really difficult for us and our struggles. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. Yeah, I mean, I definitely know that's true for me. Um, and I find that really fascinating because I think we, it's it's one of those things where, you know, in the moment, it's so hard to remember that, you know, it's so hard, I think, because recently, like I, at least me personally, I had some struggles recently. And I remember being like, I cannot understand why Hashem did this. Like, I don't get it. But I know that in my life, every time I thought that there was an answer to it. But I remember being like, I just couldn't get myself to get into a place of, of, of getting it. I think I even spoke about this in the past podcast, but I remember like basically what happened was that like three months later, I understood <laughs> what was going on, you know, why I went through that and how it made my life more beautiful. And also, you know, by using that, I was able to kind of make, find a new mission in a sense to make the world a better place. That's, that's awesome. I'm thinking a lot of times I don't, I don't understand why things happen to me. I think I worry a lot about the future, but when things happen in the present, I'm just like, okay, God, like, fine. (laughs) Have fun. <laughs> What's going to happen next? No one knows. Um, so good. It's so healthy. I think it makes it easier to deal with things. Like, honestly, like, I, I do worry about the future, but in the present, mm. like, even if things go disastrously wrong, disastrously, 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 that is the word, disastrously wrong. <laughs> um, I'm just You're like. You're a writer, right? <laughs> <laughs> writers can make up words. It's called a literary license. <laughs> Oh, so you're like a really creative writer. <laughs> yes, I'm one of those Dr. Seuss <laughs> types. Um, but So you're saying like in the present versus like thinking about the future? Yeah. And yeah. also like, I don't know, I was going through a really hard time and I was going through a really hard time and someone told me um, like in six months, this will be six months ago. And that also really helps me. Right. That like whatever it is right now, somehow life will move on. Mm-hmm. And in six months, you will not be experiencing whatever this is. Mm. And, and you know, that both helps when things are really great to appreciate it. Like, yeah, do this now because it is going to move on. Like this too shall pass kind of thing. It reminds me, like I, um, I have this joke, or I had this joke with Rivka, my wife, for anyone listening, um, <laughs> you know who she is, uh, that we had like this period uh, where we were just like really struggling financially and it was like up and down, whatever. But then there was like a point where it was a little bit more sustained. And I remember it was like, we got to this point where both of us were like, okay, like this is just happening over and over again. Like we just need to let go of, because it was so anxiety provoking, you know, right. so intense, you know, we started to have kids and all these things. And, 
And I remember we started to joke about it. We were like, oh, we have, we reached Purvana. That was like the name we came <laughs> up with. Um, <laughs> and it was so interesting because then after that, we'd like, we had like another situation like that. And we're like, okay, got to have Purvana again, you know? Um, and so it was a joke that we had had, but it was also like kind of going through so many difficulties over and over and over again with the same thing. Kind of, I think it really actually did teach us to have that attitude of like, okay, you know, and it's interesting because we both have issues with anxiety as well. Right. So, um, so that was like a really, I wouldn't uh, want to repeat it, but it was like right. a really interesting moment of growth, I think, for both of us. I think that that's also one of the interesting things about interacting, focusing on people's stories mm. um, and or traveling and, and seeing like <laughs> a lot of times we try to we think that our experiences are unique or, you know, it does feel like the end. Of, you just see people who have to go through so much and who have been through so much and and you get to hear their stories and learn their lessons. And like yeah. even you sharing this with me, like, mm. and whoever is listening to the <laughs> podcast, like, thank you for sharing. And I'm sure it's, it's valuable for mm. everyone who does here because like, this is, this is your real life. Mm. You know, for me, this is a story that you're telling me, but this is your real life that you struggled through. Mm. Um, it's honestly like whenever anyone that you speak to, share something with you. It's a, it's a big deal. And it's an opportunity truly to learn. I love that so much. Gosh, wow. I want to be you, Rachel. That's so great. <laughs> I love that perspective. You know, it's actually fascinating because I had a, um, you're just reminding me of so many things today. Um, I'm actually writing a piece about this right now. So by the time this comes out, I'll probably be out already. But um, I had this experience recently. I went to the Upper East Side, which I had never been to before. And I just remember being really, bl- I had this weird, surreal experience there because it's kind of, I'm funny, it's kind of related to this like financial stuff where I was just kind of blown away because the whole place was so clearly rich, you yeah. know, and everyone was walking around. Like I remember seeing a kid having like a, one of those blazers with like a crest on it, you know, one of the, from some prestigious spiffy, private school. Spiffy blazer. But it was just like, I couldn't. It was just, it felt like out of a movie to me and it felt so weird. And I remember just having this like very dreamlike feeling. And then literally a week later, I went to um, this this place. I went for like this business meeting. I had this, I got invited to this place called Reserve Cut, which is like, have you heard of this place? I've heard of it. I assume it has to do with meat. Yeah. It's like the, it's like a super expensive um, steakhouse mm-hmm. in a kosher steakhouse. And I, I, w- I was like blown away. I was another, I had the exact same feeling of like surreal, uh, like feeling like I was in a dream because it was, I had never been to a place so opulent, like where they, the seats were like couches, like every single thing was like a reminder that you had a lot of money, you know? And I remember I was trying to figure out what, why I felt like that and why it was so weird to me. And I realized because it was a universe that I really don't have experience with, like, or at least not for a long time. I, I really have never had to experience it. And I realized also, I think also what was very hard for me to realize was that I felt like the people around w- would have no idea. I, and I was judging a lot, I think, but like would maybe not have any idea what's going on in another universe. For you know? sure. But yeah. how cool would it be 
if we did endeavor to look at the world, even if just for a couple of minutes through right. someone else's eyes, because you and I right. are sitting in the same room, looking at the same cup and seeing it entirely differently. Like not just because we're on opposite sides of the table, but because you have this entire life that you see things through. A, it's like a filter. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's incredible when you are able to access. Mm-hmm other people's lives, like their filter. And, and it just enhances the way you see things. Like I used to, I used to do this project, mm-hmm. um, back in the day when I was in college, I lived in Manhattan, um, in Midtown. And when I was bored at night, I used to go to Times Square and I had like this little tin lunchbox. I think, I don't know if I've, I've probably written about this, but anyway, um, I had this little tin lunchbox that I filled with Hershey's Kisses, um, and I went on the street, and I would ask people a piece of advice for a piece of chocolate, and I would basically ask people, like, if you had, could teach someone one life lesson from something you had to learn the hard way, what would it be, and how'd you learn it? And then, in exchange, they get a piece of chocolate. But, like, literally, there's so many opportunities to learn from others. I don't know. It's so gorgeous. I feel like that's, you know, the power of story as well. I mean, that's like being able to travel without traveling kind of, you know. That's why I love books. I remember remember recently having an experience where I was reading a book and realizing how utterly absorbed I was, which was a reminder of like being a kid. Yeah, it's just crazy. It's crazy when you realize like, wow, you can be totally I mean, think about it. When's the last time that you were totally focused on something? I think it was that book. Yeah, I think that was probably the last time I actually felt. I'm trying to think now. <laughs> well, it sounds like whenever there's a gust of wind, right? No, honestly, it was probably a rainstorm that I was in. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not even kidding. That's it was awesome. it was this deliriously. Oh no, no. Also, every time I ride my scooter, I got yeah. this new push scooter, <laughs> like a razor, and like I'm telling you, whenever I walk by, like all the nine year olds turn their heads to follow me as I walk. You know, it's like a different kind of checking someone out. Um, <laughs> they're checking your scooter. They're out. checking my scooter out. They're right. totally looking her up and down. But um, <laughs> it's it's every time I get on there, it's just like wow, life is great. What is what is it about that? Um, there's a certain for me, the scooter represents a lot of things, honestly. It, it virtually gets me from place to place really quickly, which is wonderful. Um, but when I was debating about getting it, because I was moving to Brooklyn in a place where it, it made sense to have a scooter because it takes you 15 minutes to walk, it would take you seven to scooter. And I was just like, I don't know, and exercise. And it just made sense. Um, and one of my friends told me that uh, I shouldn't get a scooter because it would it would be... Uh, you know, matchmaking suicide, shit suicide. Oh, yes. And, okay. Right. Um, anyway, um, I, I debated about it for a lot. And just, just essentially, like, for me, the scooter represents being confident about who I am as a human and being able to appreciate who I am as a human. And, like, I've worked really hard to be who I am and I'm still working on myself. And that's not to say that in any way I'm completed, but every time I step on it, it's kind of like, this is who I am. And and this is a good thing. Oh my gosh. Like literally every time. <laughs> that is so cool. <laughs> I love that. No, I mean, it's it- just, it's just your relationship with yourself. And my friend sent me this post today that said, um, if I were to ask you to list to make a list of the things you love, 
how long would it take for you to mention yourself? Ooh. And I've just, I don't know, she sent it to me today and I've just been thinking about it and like, it's really, I really hope that everyone, that it wouldn't take them that long. I just literally, I thought like I wouldn't even think about it. I don't think. I don't think a lot of us would. You know, so funny because I was like, okay, I asked you the scooter thing. I thought you'd be like, oh, it's because <laughs> it's <laughs> like a scooter, it's just fun. Man. Yeah, but okay, it's like this whole no, that's so uh, beautiful. <laughs> and I think it also gives access to help understand why why it matters to be absorbed and appreciative. Because I mean, it's like, you know what I'm saying? Like that, that. I think other people might have gone through the same experience, but not be like every time now they they see the scooter as the symbolic thing. You know, right. And so it's like, it's also in a sense, you made that conscious choice. Well, I think also, okay, you interviewed, um, there's one podcast, I recast uh, with Hannah Rudman, and mm-hmm. she ran a weekend retreat with like really powerful, amazing women. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the women there was talking about the importance of play. And in therapy also, there's there's play therapy for adults that's really important to reintroduce, especially for survivors mm-hmm. of trauma, mm-hmm. um, like, or women survivors of, of rape or sexual abuse, that to reintroduce play the ability to play. And, you know, we think that like kids play, mm-hmm. but there's no reason. What is playing just means engaging in life in an unexpected fun way. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times I think I don't really converse with people. I play with them, which, which I think has a connotation, a negative connotation, but really it just means like, why should one of the girls at this shop at, at this weekend retreat, she said when she goes up to a, a the coffee, uh, the guy serving her coffee, she'll be like, hey, how are you doing? And then she'll be like, so did you have any fun dreams last night? <laughs> and like, well, that we don't all have to do that. But even just do something that you don't expect, like walk mm-hmm. down the street in a different way. I don't know. Like engage with your life. Yeah. That's so interesting. I um, I remember when I had, f- it was like my first visit to St. Louis. My parents live in St. Louis. And, you know, we had, I think we had stayed in New York for a little while after we got from, arrived from Israel because like we had had a baby girl and it was just like, it would have been really hard at the time. Right. So I think it was like a year later and after, the, and like before that we hadn't been to St. Louis, obviously, because we're in Jerusalem. So <laughs> I remember, um, you know, I'd gotten so used to like the New York thing of like not no small talk and whatever when you're out. And, um, I know that's not your experience, but that was my experience. Like, <laughs> and I had, and the thing was, I would talk to Rivka about how much I loved it. Like I loved just being able to live my life and not be bothered by people, yeah. but I'd gotten into this groove. But what was really interesting <laughs> was I had this little moment. I always joke about it. I think it's so funny. Like I was, uh, I had just arrived in St. Louis and we needed to pick something up from, uh, a pharmacy. And so I was in line and I remember the woman, at the at the register, you know, was just talking with each person like about their day, and I remember having this feeling of dread, like oh my gosh, like she's gonna talk to me, and I don't want to talk to her, and I like why do That's I have to do worst. this? I don't want to do People it. People talk to you, right? I was just yeah, I was like I, this is the worst. That's what I was thinking, <laughs> and then she started talking to me. I was like this is so nice. 
<laughs> and I think it's like a you there know there are just times when people can be really invasive. I don't want to. No, I don't want to discount course. that. Like that is a thing. Like you can. There's but, two ways of asking a question and two reasons right. and motivations. Well, I think for me, what was so powerful about that was that I had gotten into this groove of like I. Not that I just like right. like not having small talk. It's that I like don't want people to even like enter my space and and so to just like you're saying to try something new like talk with people that I don't know was like at that time it was like this big revelation oh like maybe there's something to this thing yeah. <laughs> of like talking to people you know um, and I think that's also like what's so powerful just also gives us an appreciation for the fact that oh maybe there's like validity to other people's choices and way maybe. of living maybe right? <laughs> who would have thought that. <laughs> well no it's a lot of times like. Or even just seeing things, you know, a lot of times when people get upset with you, they're not really getting upset with you. They're something from their day happened that made them right. a little more irritable that they're then reacting. And you're just like, when someone gets upset with me and it doesn't make sense to me, I'm automatically like, okay, <laughs> like either we need to talk about it and work it out or else I'm just going to assume that like, it probably doesn't really have to do with me. I'll, I'll let it go. They'll get over it. We'll get over it. Um, but just on the topic also of appreciating things, have you ever been to the, uh, museum of natural history in New York, in Manhattan? Yes. Okay. I was so bored. Really? Cause it was all there, these things, Nature. That don't, but it's like fake. Everything's fake. I'm sorry. See, this is, I'm already destroying your wonder. I mean, some things are but. stuffed. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not fake and stuff. There's, there's also like... <laughs> Um, there's something that I, I just destroyed the wonder in the room. Oh my gosh. I went there whenever I'm like amazed by something and someone else isn't. I'm just like, oh, but, no. but why? <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so yeah, so, <laughs> so at the museum of natural history years ago was my first time going and I was 19. Mm-hmm. Wow. That was years ago. So anyway, um, there, there's this huge model of a house fly. Mm. And I never, like, massive, like, human-sized. Was it stuffed? Or? No, no. <laughs> this was fake. <laughs> this was, okay. Just want to clarify. Um, that would be a scary, scary thing. <laughs> um, but I just remember being amazed at how I never actually thought about what a housefly looks like oh, and wow. how, like, intricate it is. Or, like, a leaf. Mm. Learning in, in, you know, biology how a leaf grows and just that there's veins in the leaf and just like everything that surrounds you, honestly, ultimately like, and again, I'm, I'm saying this as if I'm great at it, but, um, things are pretty cool. People are pretty cool and beautiful. I mean, that's so great because I love, I love that so much. I'm so, this is like a life. I I just love this conversation because you know, I think, and I think that's so great because it's also like what you're reminding me of is like that in a sense, my being at the Natural History Museum was like a choice to be bored in a sense, you know, not, not that, not that it's like we can control every emotion we have, but also just like this, just having the mental and emotional capacity to, to remind ourselves that we have like that we, we can, like, add meaning to the moments yeah. in our lives. You know? If you're in a situation, you do have choices. Like, you have a choice either to engage with it or to disengage with it. There are plenty mm-hmm. of things. If you take me to a sports game, I'll honestly be spacing out the entire <laughs> time. Mm-hmm. Like, I won't be there because I don't care to. Mm-hmm. 
you know? Right. Like I'd rather be in my own head somewhere else, which I'll be happy doing that. Right. But um but yeah, we I would be making that choice. Right. Right. Okay, so here's my question about stuff like that. Like I think it's interesting to talk about it in theory because like I I I get it. I get what you're saying and I want to make that choice more but like me myself when I'm at the Natural History Museum do you think there's something practical that I can do to remind myself in those moments to make that choice? I would say that's a great question. Um I mean there's there's definitely mindfulness tools, honestly. Mm. Um ones that work for me personally. Um, I've written about this too. There's something called a sound fingerprint mm-hmm. um, where basically someone I was traveling with told me that he does this in every new place that he's in or to center himself. He'll close his eyes and he'll just listen to the sounds around him. Oh, wow. Mm. For, for 30 or even, even 10, 15 seconds. Right. Um, that if you just close your eyes and listen, that every single place you'll ever be in, even if you're in the same place twice, it'll sound different. There's mm. a unique sound, just like everyone has a unique fingerprint, right. um, which is really centering. Um, I think just training yourself, just like any, again, it's a muscle, any muscle training yourself like, okay, I have a choice. Or like, I used to have issues um, getting through school because of my anxiety that I mentioned previously. Um, And a therapist that I had taught me a technique. Like I I used to have to go home in the middle of the day frequently. (laughs) Um, And a therapist, yeah. Because of the anxiety? Yeah. I just couldn't make it through the day. Um, I was a fun, fun, fun kid. (laughs) I mean, I mean, I just think that's incredible. It's crazy. I didn't have a rebellious teenage stage. It was just like all (laughs) packed into my childhood. Um, But, no, so she taught me that just to look at it as like five minutes, like, mm. or, and like five minutes, you don't have to wait to go to sleep at night to wake up and have a new existence and to wake up and have a new day. Like a lot of times people say like, it'll be better in the morning, like in five minutes, it's entirely new. And right. if you even just maximize that, like whatever it is, a lot of times, again, we come to situations carrying everything that we've gone through through our entire day. Mm. And that's not healthy for where we are. Like we come home from work and we're tired and we put that all on our, on our husband and kids, you know, Um, when really we should like leave that at the door. Cause as soon as we walk in, we're entering a new existence. It, we don't have to wait to take a shower. Um, Like if we're in tune with what reality actually is, which again, I struggle with as well, Mm. we would be able to just like breathe and start over right now because what was a second ago is not what is presently. Wow. It's, I remember I had um, a therapist. I don't know why, like everything we're talking about is like reminding me of that. It's like, because I, I guess it's a therapists. good conversation. Yeah. <laughs> therapist. But I had, um, I remember once I, I was talking to my therapist about, it was a therapist I had before that, um, how I would come home. I was telling him like, I'm so anxious when I get home. Like I, I, and it makes it very hard for me to interact with my kids. Like I'm right. supposed to help put them to bed and everything. And he was, you know, he kind of like, we talked it through and I started to, he kind of made it clear that what had happened to a certain extent was I created 
a narrative around this idea that I needed to relax when I got home. And so like whenever I was home, when I got home, all I could think about was like this need to relax. And so when I was interacting with my kids, I like wasn't there with them because I was just thinking about this thing that I needed, which was to relax, you right. know? And he was like, what you, you need to do is start thinking like in that time, be grateful that you're with your kids and try and remind yourself how this is, you know, you don't get to see your kids so as much as you So reframe what work. you should be doing. Yeah, reframe it. And, and also just like, it was kind of this, you know, we don't realize how much we build narratives around our lives, you know, that are unhe- like unhelpful. Right. You know, and where we think that this story that I tell myself has to be true. Right. You know, and I don't want to minimize like people that obviously have these difficulties and all these things. And, um, you know, I don't, I, but I think there is, there was, it was, it was really powerful because since then, you know, I got so much better. I mean, it was took work, but right. I got so much better, like coming home and being like, oh, I'm with my kids and I'm with my wife and like this is this is a, a gift you know and then later I would relax but um you know I still I didn't need it but I, right. I kind of and I think that essentially we all need this training mm-hmm. like we all need this training whether it's um through spirituality and or whether it's through psychologists and therapists or whether I mean also I mean look I'm studying psychiatry and I do believe that there's there's an extent to which like mind training can help. I think that some people like can be assisted through the use of medications. Um, like a person going through severe depression, it's hard for them to like, there's no point of me talking to someone being like, you should think happy thoughts and then right. you'll fly. Right. Um, because, because our minds are real things and neurotransmitters and hormones and you know, they're, they're real things and yeah. chemicals in our body. Um, but there is a lot that we can do in order to facilitate our own happiness beyond the things, achieving the things that we think will make us happy. Beyond achieving the things that we think will make us happy. You know, the whole like happiness is not a destination. It's a journey. Um, but like we, we have this, I think a lot of us carry around this, even, even me who like, I believe happiness is here, but like we carry around their fulfillment, but we carry around this list of things that we need and then we'll be happy. Right, I see what you're saying. Yeah, um, that's like that narrative thing. And what we need is to be happy with what we have. Mm-hmm. And it's such a Torah idea, right? It, this, this I mean, idea. it's a it's a everything idea. I mean, <laughs> it's a Buddhist idea too. Like, it's a right. right. But yes, it is definitely a Torah idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's 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 truth. Like, I mean, yeah, right. I, I totally hear that. Like, um, it's funny. I remember, you know, when I was going through that financial like struggles, I remember. I would, it was just so crazy how much it could like overwhelm my thinking. And I remember walking down the street and looking at people's houses and being like, wow, I wish I had that. And it was like, all, and, and it was like, it was just destroying my ability to just be, you know, mm-hmm. and be able to realize like, I had a family, it was healthy. It was such a transformative experience when Rivka pointed that out to me and was like, you know, you're, you're like, you're always thinking about what you wish you had. Like, what about what you have? And it's funny because it sounds so cliche, but it was like that reminder was so important. Just that one sentence she said to me, it was like flipped my head, you know? In the the Ten Commandments, there's the one commandment, like, not to be jealous. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when it says that, I, I'm not good with quotes, but it says, like, you shouldn't uh, envy your friend nor his wife nor his maidservant nor his manservant nor his donkey or something like that. I don't know. Probably. I keep looking at my friend's donkey. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so 
one of the explanations commentaries on that says that why why doesn't it just say don't be jealous of your neighbor like why does it have to list everything after him um and the explanation is that because if you're say that you are jealous of your neighbor's wife hmm. like say that you want that you would have to if you get the wife you would have to take everything that comes along with her you would also have to take his house his fortune mm. his everything so like mm-hmm. if you're jealous of one aspect you can't just be jealous of one aspect of a person's life wow like That's everyone so everyone's lives are this conglomerate of factors. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's great. I love that. So you're walking past people's houses and you see their house, but right. but if you want their house, you have to take what's in it. <laughs> oh, it's so deep. I love that. Oh my gosh. Um, oh, there was something I was going to say that just reminded me of. Oh, I, w- I, I remember actually having a thought about that commandment the other day because I remember thinking like, it's so interesting. It's like this thing about, like you have to believe in God, you, you know, idolatry, like don't murder people, don't steal. And then there's like, don't covet. Like it seems so, to me, it seems out of place, you know. But on the other hand, I started to read, like I thought about those moments in my life. Huh. And I started to realize how there's nothing else that's affected me, my happiness more than when I'm comparing myself to others or wishing I had what someone else had. Like I, I really think that when I think about it, most of my lack of satisfaction with my life at present or whatever, unless there's something like really difficult, like really out from the outside world, like really affecting me in a, in a very, very difficult way. Right. Like I think for the most part, it's just so invasive, like of our minds. We don't realize it, it creates that, it creates that narrative of like, I'm supposed to have this or I'm supposed yeah. to have that. You know? There's also the fact, like we're talking so much about happiness, right? There's also the fact that happiness comes a lot from giving to others and giving out. Mm. Like we're talking about being present, which is very, very important. <clears throat> but like if we were actually focused on like what are we doing here and mm. what is our purpose here, we wouldn't have time to be like, well, what are other people doing for us? <laughs> you know, what? Right. what is What's this? the world giving to me? Right. Yeah. yeah. It's so true. I mean... It's actually also interesting because, you know, there is a lot, even the focus on happiness is a mistake in a sense because, um, you know, one of the most powerful books I've ever read, um, and I'm sure many have read this, uh, they're listening uh, towards, no, not towards, um, Man's Search for Meaning. Yes. You know, and that Victor book. Victor Frankl. Yeah. And it's just, that book is, is transformative because it's saying what we need is is to be giving something to the world. Purpose. Essentially, purpose. Yeah. It was like. Why am I here? What am I doing here? And it's could be religious or it could just be like he gave examples of scientists who are working on papers and that kept them alive during the Holocaust. Like yeah. it's unbelievable. You know, it's someone who is and, and, and the people that like uh, and again, like, oh, gosh, I don't want to get to a, a place of like judging, God forbid. But he was saying that people that didn't have that in the Holocaust, it was much harder for them to survive. Uh, you know, so often it became a, a matter like when you're in such a difficult physically difficult place these little these things that we think of as little can make all the difference when we're working with clients um when we're working with clients who are suicidal um so it's important to assess whether or not you know they like it's just a thought or they have a plan and how how they would do it but one of the things that you ask is like well what what do you have to live for Mm -hmm. like why haven't you why haven't you tried anything yet Mm. Um, and that's always a really interesting question because everyone has very, very different things. Like I've had one, one client tell me that she, she needed to live because she needed to pay off her student loans. Mm. Um, which Are is you serious. Yeah. Which is fascinating. But for what? her, that that's a duty. 
Wow. And that's, because that was like, it was, she didn't want to take from society and then just disappear and not pay back her loans. Like, that's just not okay. Wow. And, you know, whether or not, like, obviously we would work with her on, because we all really do have a meaning and a reason that we're here and a deep meaning. Um, but trying to think of like, okay, why am I here? And if I don't know, then, then I need to go and figure that out. And, and, you know, and when we're talking about depression in the elderly and geriatric populations, which is a, a really, I mean, the baby boomers now are, are reaching, um, you know, that kind of age and it's going to be an explosive population. So like, and especially with people living longer, giving them a sense of purpose in old age is so super important because it's not like you retire for 10 years anymore. Like people are retiring for like 20, what are you going to do for 20 years, you know? Mm -hmm. And giving back and finding meaningful volunteer work or ways to mentor um, or like ways to change the fabric of creation just by being a good human. Right. Really important. I mean, it's it's fascinating because, you know, there's even studies, I'm sure you know of these, but like there are these studies of like... um, when people have like expendable income, when they spend it on things, they have like a spike in happiness that goes back to where it was. Like even it's this thing, like you bought this thing, it's always in your house or whatever. But in general, like you bought this amazing, let's say expensive thing that, you know, you really were wanting, not that you shouldn't have it, but what I find fascinating about that is you have this thing that's permanently in your house and it, your happiness level goes right back to where it was very quickly. And and they were saying that, like, the people that spent that money on experiences, I mean, and again, this is not exactly touching on the giving thing, but the point was that what's fascinating about that is this ephemeral, like, short-lived experience of going on a vacation or, you know, going actually, and, and, and the more experiential the vacation, the better, the longer your happiness would last. So you would, your happiness lasts longer from the short-lived experience than from buying something. Um and I thought that was so interesting because I was thinking about, I was like, you know, if let's say you had some time to kill and like you could, or you could go out shopping or, you know, this is like a totally hypothetical scenario, or you could go to a soup kitchen and, and volunteer. And the truth is, if you, if you look at the science, you would be a lot happier in the long run if you did that. A couple of years ago, I spent um, this girl's wedding day with her. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't have much family in the States. And so, so I was there and, you know, a lot of times like a bride who you spend months preparing for this wedding and you spend the morning of, uh, doing your makeup and doing your hair and putting on your gown and doing the photos and, and this bride, she, she got her makeup done, she got her hair and then she just had so much time. She was just like, I want to spend my wedding day doing something important. And we went to the hospital and gave out flowers in her wedding dress. What? Oh yeah. my gosh. Yep. Yeah. And literally people are, wait, are were so confused. Patients were just like, wait, are, are you <laughs> getting married? Like, I don't understand. And honestly, I mean, please God, when I have a wedding day, like, I, I don't think there's anything more valuable. Like, why would I? Yeah, Sure. You could spend the day doing your makeup and taking your pictures. And I don't judge anyone who does. Like, I think it's it's a beautiful day and it should be spent the way that you'd like to spend it. Mm-hmm. But um, just in general, how are we spending our time and what really is meaningful yeah. to us? I, re- I mean, I remember my wedding day. I remember, um, you know, I at that point I was really just learning everything. Like, everything was so new to me in terms of the Jewish practice. And, um, you know, I had just come out of yeshiva, basically, and... 
I remember being told like, "Oh, you fast," and and also like it's customary to read to Hillam and stuff. And I remember, you know, kind of. So I was like, "All right, I'll do that." <laughs> I'm like super. I was super, you know, charged up about everything, and and I think looking back, it, the funny thing was I was sitting there reading to Hillam, reading words I couldn't understand. But it's still such a memorable experience to me. Like, and the, the funny thing is, like, and I this is not at all to minimize the wedding, but I have it's very hard for me to remember the wedding itself. Like, it, it was so powerful and so intense and so yeah. emotionally, you know. And I, but the funny thing is, I think part of that was because I had spent that time really being and really preparing myself, like spiritually. It made it made such an impact on me, you know. So I think that for people, like determining what your meaning is and it's different for everyone Mm. and it could be something little it really could you holding open a door for someone past you you know or like if you're if if you believe in this like sorry if you believe in the if you believe in this um you know like for me when i say a blessing on food i really do believe like i'm revealing this divine energy in this food um and that's that may not be a huge like volunteering in a soup kitchen things but it's it's huge just mm-hmm. in the fact that you have meaning i mean it's amazing it's amazing to have that opportunity you know whether we take advantage of it or not but we have that opportunity in that moment to turn it into an experience of gratitude and right? we always do have that opportunity my friend and i mm-hmm. used to uh we used to go from Midtown to Brooklyn all the time on the train, and we decided that we would try to make three people smile every time we did it. <laughs> Gosh, that's so um, great. Just I could never like, do that. Just by, well, yeah, it's it's a lot easier, I think, for for like you know <laughs> us. Uh, <laughs> but just like I don't know, we would like make eye contact with people and smile. Or when I was having a really bad day, I would I would buy flowers and give them out on the street. Um, Are you and, serious? Yeah. No, I still do that. Oh <laughs> still, I I've been that. doing that ever since I was a kid. I used to, like, God. I used to make my um, my babysitter on Fridays um, there, when the Shabbos was late. Mm. So um, on my way back from piano lessons, we would go buy carnations and we would try to get red lights. And I would jump out of the car and knock on the window of the car next to us and give them a carnation and wish them a good day. I'm like, I've been doing that ever since. <laughs> That's so great. I love that. And you know what I find fascinating about that? It's like, it's not like I was thinking about, I was like, that's insane. You know, like me, <laughs> me that's my, that's my first thought like that. Like, I mean, not in a bad way, but no, just yeah. insane in the sense of I could not imagine myself doing that. But then I was thinking, about, if you think about it, what's actually hard about that? There's nothing hard about it. You go out like and buy flowers and you give them out. What's you know? really fun. Or like, I don't know. You always like, I don't know. I once someone, there were balloons at a party and I was just like, Oh my God, I'm going to go give out these balloons on the street. And people are just like, but why? And you're like, cause, cause they're balloons. And they're like, Oh, and then some people will tell you why they really needed a balloon that day or why they really needed a flower. <laughs> and I had this one woman come back, like chase me down the street and tell me like, you actually don't realize how much I needed this and tell me the story that had happened to her that day. And I, I don't know, we can also create, create these opportunities. Yeah, I mean that's literally what you're doing, and it's so simple. It's you know? it's not like some elaborate viral video. It's like you know you're just doing something. Things don't need to be small. big to be incredible. Like I don't know. Like again, these tiny little moments, these tiny little movements. I'm sure that you can think 
of things that people have done that have been really meaningful to you, even just like a little compliment. Like mm. there's no reason if you're thinking something good, unless it's like, like an inappropriate time or whatever, but like, there's no reason why you shouldn't communicate that. Cause you have no idea. Or you're thinking of someone, my sister taught me this when you're thinking of someone who you haven't spoken to in a while, just send them a text. Be like, Hey, just want to let you know, I was thinking of you. I hope you're well. Even if you don't want to get into a long conversation, you don't know what that does. And it's something small, but again, really big, potentially. And we all have an incredible ability to just, like, shatter the world. Like, I don't, like, in a good way. Like, to just, to change people's lives. Like, that's what we're here for, I think. I don't know. It's, uh... This was great. <laughs> We're at basically done, but thank you so much. Thank you so for beautiful. having me. <laughs> wow. Um, how do we plug you? We get you're on Hevria. People can find you on Hevria, Rachel Spangenthal. Where else can people find you on the internet? If they're I'm working looking? on, I'm working on building my website, but okay. it's uh, it's not quite up yet. But um, they can friend you on Facebook. That's where you got all. You your can friend inspiring. me on Facebook. Yeah, yeah and I, I make most of my my interactions <clears throat> with people in the street public, right. um, so people can read those. So even if even if we're not friends, you can, <laughs> you can follow me in a non creepy way. <laughs> um, and yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity to speak. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to HivriaCast. I'm Aladna Harai. If you'd like to hear more and read more of our work, you can follow us by going to hevria.com or facebook.com slash hevriamag. We've been recording at the Kalal Studios in New York City, and the music that you're hearing is Voice Lessons by Darshan. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing and hearing from you again. Oh,